Welcome to the audiobook podcast of Turing Test, book one of the AI Diaries trilogy. This is E.M. Foner, and you can contact me through Facebook or through my author website, ifitbreaks.com. Chapter 19. I felt genuinely sad as I walked out the door of Harrison's Dental for the last time. It took me almost 15 minutes to convince Mrs. Harrison that my leaving wasn't due to her future son-in-law's rearrangement of their desktop icons, and in the end, I had to lie and say that I was moving to Australia. There was a delivery truck in the parking lot blocking the view of my van as I exited the building. I walked around the truck and jerked to a sudden halt when I saw the hanker leaning against my fender, smoking a cigarette in a long holder. Hey, killer, the alien greeted me. Fifth, are you nuts? If the humans see you, they'll call a zookeeper or SWAT. I'm cloaked, buddy. You can't tell. It's a fun piece of old tech from our museum that I'm trying out. I'm always running millimeter wave scans, I told him. So no, I didn't notice that you were invisible. Just as well, the hanker said. The humans can't see me, but my metabolism powers the cloak and I can't run it for more than an hour or so before starving or dehydrating. Let me into the back of your van. He paused a moment to read the custom magnetic sign stuck on the side. If it breaks service, www.ifitbreaks.com. No phone number? It's on the website, I told him. I've been teaching a young human to drive, and I was getting too many calls from people she cut off when the number was on the sign. I bleeped the door open with the key fob and fifth clambered in, taking the place on the toolbox that was usually mine when Ebeth and Spot were up front. Then I went around and got in the driver's seat before turning to give the alien a hard stare. What do you want, fifth? Come on, we're old friends, Mark. Did I pronounce your human name all right? It will do, I said. How does fighting on opposite sides of a war make us friends? Are you still calling that little fertilizer glitch a war? It's not my fault that the AI decided to ignore the manufacturer's recommendations. I just delivered the stuff. And you left with a shipload of discounted lumber and a promise to keep your mouth shut, which you failed to honor. I never breathed a word about it to anybody except my wife, Fifth protested. You know that spouses don't count in secrecy pledges. You can check our bylaws. You were married to an investigative journalist at the time, I reminded him. She got the facts right, didn't she? Hey, can you really drive this thing? I tried taking one of the community cars from the garage downtown, but it must have been defective. I barely scraped a wall and I almost got launched into the back seat by an inflating bag, and that's not to mention the shrapnel. If my personal shield hadn't activated, I would have picked up a few holes, and I wasn't even going that fast. The airbags have been recalled, but it's taking forever, I told him, pulling out of the parking lot. You want me to drop you back at the mall? No, we need to talk in private. How about your place? I was tempted to just throw him out of the van and let his cloak eat through his energy reserves, but I suspected that Sue would want to see him, so I headed back to the apartment. What is there to talk about, Fifth? You ran your con on the humans and they fell for it hook, line, and sinker. I'm here to build them up, not to tear them down. They're already trying to get out of the contract, he told me. Our emissary swears he's going to eat the next lawyer who comes knocking at the mall. And one of those human geniuses actually burned the contract to ashes and claimed it doesn't exist. Don't they realize that recorded images are better than the originals? Not on this world, I told him. Did you use carbon paper? What's that? Fifth asked. After I explained the basic principle... We spent the rest of the drive home discussing the commercial opportunities for carbon paper in the greater galaxy. Fifth was convinced it would sell like parchment on Mage Worlds, where technology was frowned upon, if not outright banned. 
Given the amount of scribal work that goes into running any sort of magical enterprise, it wasn't surprising that a big chunk of their overhead went into copying. The only sticking point is that you can't just tell the scribes to push down harder on their quills, Pfift said, apparently unaware of the irony of his word choices in English. Accelerated language learning is like that sometimes. If we can get the mages to accept ballpoint pens, we'll have it made in the shade. But that might be too much for them to watch it! Don't be so jumpy, Fift, I told him. They all drive like that. Trying to read their personal communications devices when they should be looking where they're going? Just relax, we're almost there. Then I tried to strike a confidential tone and said, Tell me something, Fift. Have you ever heard of Bitcoin? Yes, and I don't want to buy any from you. Look, Mark, I know we played a bit of a dirty trick by pitching the humans when your job here was almost finished, but you don't know the whole story. We didn't come here with the intention of pranking them. You did a pretty good job of it, I said. Hey, they practically begged for it. You wouldn't believe all the take us with you and do what you want with the rest of these cretins offers we were getting over microwave links before we even landed. What I'm saying is that this world is just the tip of the iceberg that sank the Titanic. Was that an attempt at a movie analogy? I wish you wouldn't. Movies are one of the few things these people actually do well, and even then, nine out of ten of them are unwatchable. Why do they insist on making so many bad ones? Is it all some kind of accounting trick or tax dodge? They must know that the scripts are terrible before they begin production. It's a mystery, I told him, pulling up in front of my squad apartment block. Fifth stared out the windshield. You really live in this pilot? Don't say it, I told him. It's part of my cover and I get subsidized rent. They even pay for the garbage pickup something your people wouldn't know anything about. Now turn your shield back on. The neighbors don't know that I'm alien artificial intelligence. Observers, the hanker grumbled. There's not enough gold in the galaxy to tempt me into doing your job. Fifth followed me up to the apartment, muttering to himself the whole way, but I refused to answer until we got inside. Ebeth was on the couch playing a game, and Sue was in the process of replacing all of the stock photographs on the walls. Somewhere she had found the time to make prints from memories that our team members must have sent her. The place did look a bit homier. Spot lifted his head from Ebeth's lap and growled at the cloaked alien, who threw himself on the floor. Forgive me, O oh, Archmage of Aniniac, the hanker blubbered in his native tongue. I didn't know you were friendly with the humans. Take my life, but please spare my family banking records. That's Spot, my dog, I told Fift in his own language. Don't uncloak until I prepare the human for your appearance. But he looks exactly like... Who's talking, Ebeth interrupted, putting more effort into checking every direction than she ever did when pulling away from the curb. What language was that? Hanker, I told her. His name is Pfift, and he's going to uncloak in a moment, so brace yourself. I like giant pandas, Ebeth said. They're cute. He's here in his natural form, Sue explained, moving forward to greet the Hanker. Hello, Pfift. How's your wife? Which wife? One thing at a time, I begged them. Don't be surprised by his appearance, Ebeth. He's going to look a little like a scaly rooster with fangs and antlers. All right, Fift. The hanker uncloaked, and Ebeth actually gave a short scream as she scrambled over the couch to the other side. That is not a scaly rooster, she croaked. With a different head and lots of loose folds of skin, I added, just give yourself a minute to get used to him. Sorry, Fift said in English, we come in peace. Oh, and that makes looking like a nightmare all right, the girl shot back. Come on, Ebeth, Sue coaxed her. You're always saying how you want to travel the galaxy, but most aliens are going to look even more foreign to you than Fifth. I know, I see them through the portal all the time, Ebeth said. 
It's different when they're a few feet away, crouched down like they're about to pounce. He was just, a uh, greeting Spot, I explained. Stand up, Fift. The hanker rose to his feet, still looking nervously in Spot's direction. The dog yawned. Ebeth peeked over the back of the couch, immediately looked away, and then conquered her fear long enough to study the alien. Where are your manners, Sue demanded of me. Get him a chair. Can I get you something to drink, Fift? Our emissary brought back a delicious drink from Davos. You make it with little bags of dried leaves steeped in boiling water, but going by the neighborhood you live in, I would guess that it's beyond your means. Tea, Sue said, heading into the kitchen. I'll pick one out. Anything for you, Ebeth? Chamomile, and put a shot of the forgetfulness drug in mine. It only starts working after you take it, I reminded her. I've seen you kill game monsters that look much nastier than Fift. Hey, the hanker said, I'm standing right here. I don't think I have a chair that will suit you, but you can sit on the couch, I offered. I'm not sitting next to him, Fift said, pointing at Spot. It would be sacrilegious. Get him two chairs from the dining room and put them next to each other, Ebeth suggested, proving that she was already over her shock. She reclaimed her own seat on the couch and asked the hanker, Why are you here? Ah, it's a long story, Fift replied as I returned with the chairs. He gave me a nod of thanks and settled his bulk onto the two seats, but wisely refrained from leaning back. It all began when the ferrymen first came to this world. The ferrymen, I interrupted? Ebeth raised her hand. Could somebody clarify what kind of fairies we're talking about here? The boat kind of ferrymen, I told her, but in this case it's spaceships. Sue, you're going to want to hear this. Just a second, she called as the microwave dinged. A minute passed before she came in with a tray bearing two cups of tea and a tasteful assortment of homemade cookies. I wondered if Helen had baked them or if Sue had made them for Ebeth. I'd have to remember to ask Kim if baking was a communicable disease among women. Excellent, Fifth said, accepting the tea with what passed as a hand among the hankers, and then daintily retrieving a cookie with his prehensile tongue. Ebeth took her tea but waved off the cookies with a grimace. The ferryman, I prompted? It's impossible for us to be sure without accessing their records, but we believe the ferrymen started removing breeding populations from this planet a little before iron came into widespread use for tools and weapons, the hanker said. They followed their usual modus operandi, targeting areas that had been devastated by wars, famines, or natural disasters, and passing themselves off as sky gods. Like for the ancient Greeks and Egyptians, Ebeth asked? I believe that those gods have deeper roots in your world, though my understanding of your history is limited to what I was able to glean from illicit copies of the reports submitted by Mark and his team. The historical information was mainly from Wikipedia, I admitted, and then added defensively. They have really easy license terms. The ferrymen continued visiting this world for at least 3,000 years, landing in areas where authority had broken down, taking whole communities in many cases. I'm sure you can guess the rest of the story. How many humans are living on the ferryman reservation, I asked. There are three reservation worlds, with a combined population at least that of Earth's. The humans prove to be as useful as they are fruitful, and capable of thriving in a wide range of environments. Of course, the ferrymen have continued in their role as sky gods to prevent adverse population events, not to mention undesirable technology that might interfere with their divinity, such as movable type. Let me get this straight, Ebeth said. Some alien species Mark has never mentioned spent thousands of years kidnapping humans that nobody would ever miss and taking them to some other worlds where they're locked up on reservations? Fifth looked puzzled, though I'm sure his facial expression was lost on Ebeth. I must have misspoken, he said. 
There's no kidnapping charge to make because the people would have gone willingly in return for the promise of food in a safe new home. There are three worlds and three different star systems now populated with humans which I'm referring to as reservations. The humans aren't locked up any more than you are on this planet, lacking your own interstellar transportation. I don't know if the inhabitants of those three worlds are aware of their history or the existence of the others, because all of our spying has been done from a safe distance, and there aren't any modern communications to monitor. The ferrymen have been playing these games with the primitive worlds they discover for millions of years, Sue explained to Ebeth. They always claimed to be doing the targeted species a favor by saving individuals who are on the brink of death. And I'm surprised that your people don't view this all as a good joke, Fift. So why do you think we invested the time and the effort to uncover all the facts, the hanker asked. The ferryman must be using the humans in a way that's impacting your bottom line, I guessed. Bingo, Fift said. Give the AI a prize. You even mentioned in one of your reports how well adapted the humans are to manual labor, as they haven't been spoiled by robot servitors or magical work methods. Exporting handcrafted goods made by primitive species to other worlds is our thing. You mean that the ferrymen are employing all of those humans in factories making cheap exports, Ebeth asked? No, 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 Fift said. Cheap exports are made by automation. Handcrafted goods are a luxury, and the price reflects that. Here, he said, removing a bag slung around his neck with a flipper hand and tossing it on the couch, where the girl shrank away as if she expected it to attack. It's not going to bite you, he said. Ebeth reluctantly picked up the bag, which was made of some sort of tanned hide. Is this a man purse? It's a utility bag, the hanker retorted indignantly. Handcrafted. Not a single machine operation went into making it. It's pretty crude, Ebeth observed. Deathlord has a wallet he made for a shop-class project that's much nicer than this. Thank you for making my point, Fifth said. Those bony little fingers and opposable thumbs you all come equipped with are ideal for general-purpose crafting. The ferrymen have been creeping into the market for handmade rugs, wood carvings, and representational art. You provide them with an image file, and a few months later, you get back a mosaic or a portrait. They're charging half as much as anybody else for superior products. I still don't get it, Ebeth said. Mark or Sue in their encounter suits could do a better job than any human, and how do customers know that everything isn't being manufactured by robots that are programmed to make stuff look handmade? Fifth turned to me. Mark? Artificial intelligence finds manual labor to be a bit tedious, Ebeth, I told the girl. Fingers with nails to stiffen the tips are pretty handy, and I've been impressed that I can pick up those tiny screws that the manufacturers use in laptops but I wouldn't want to spend a whole day turning square pieces of wood into round pieces. Robots can be programmed to make faux handcrafted goods that are nearly indistinguishable from the real thing, but we're talking about the galactic luxury market here, the hanker continued. I took the liberty of putting together a little DVD of authenticity reels. The ferrymen provide them with each and every product. It's in my bag. Ebeth fished out the jewel case and took the disc over to the DVD player. Then she returned to the couch dug the remote out from between the pillows, and hit play. A swarthy bearded man appeared, working outdoors under a bright pink sun as he scraped away at a cowhide stretched on a frame. Then he turned to the camera and began describing the process in a language reminiscent of Aramaic, for which Fifth had been kind enough to provide English subtitles. Next, a timestamp and a lot number appeared, followed by a smooth fade to a new scene, where a different man was tanning the hide. The progression of steps lasted nearly thirty minutes, with each craftsperson saying a few words, down to the woman who shallowly engraved an alien name on the side of the purse, working from a paper pattern. Wow, that was like a whole documentary for one handbag, Ebeth commented. 
I've seen an authenticity video for a dragon saddle that ran almost 24 hours, the hanker said mournfully. The ferrymen are eating our lunch in the custom saddlery and harness market. The next one is from a different reservation world. You can tell by the sunlight. It can take years to produce a rug, not counting raising the sheep. There's carting, spinning, washing, dyeing, drying, and that's just to make the yarn. Watching the rug come together was like watching a plant grow with time-lapse photography. At every stage, the men or women spoke to the camera, giving their names and talking about the rug, their family life, really anything that came into their heads. When the finished carpet was finally rolled, bagged, and barged down the river to the spaceport, we all knew that we had watched the creation of a unique piece of art. How is anybody supposed to compete with that, Fifth demanded. This last one is shorter, from the third reservation world. A man speaking ancient Greek as a living language appeared, and he began loading clay into a refining tank while describing the process. Next came a woman turning the clay on a pottery wheel, talking about how the pieces she was turning would be joined together with a slip after drying, and the seams hidden with another operation on the wheel. Then the pitcher was decorated by a different woman, who described the manufacture of the paints and coatings she used, and finally it went into a kiln for firing. I'd even buy one of those if I could afford it, Ebeth said. Fifth grunted and looked sheepish. It's in my cabin, along with the hand-knotted carpet. The purse was for my current wife. Where do you think I got the authenticity videos? This concludes Chapter 19 of Touring Test by E.M. Foner.